Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, September the 13th, and you're very welcome to the Weekly Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Before we begin today, I just wanted to mention again that we're going to be recording a live show as part of the first Dublin Podcast Festival, which runs from the 19th to the 30th of September with all kinds of podcasting goodness and bits and bobs. Myself and the Inside Politics crew are going to be in the Workman's Club in Dublin as part of a all-day podcast extravaganza at a quarter to four on Sunday, September the 24th. And you can come along just for us, or you can book for the full day and what better way to spend a Sunday I ask myself anyway to find out more and to book your tickets just go to dublinpodcastfestival.ie that's dublinpodcastfestival.ie now I was joined earlier by Damien English TD who's Minister for State of the Department of Housing Planning and Local Government with special responsibility for housing and urban development also in the studio were our political editor Pat Leahy and Harry McGee from our political staff we discussed the housing crisis and other challenges facing the government Pat, the lead story in the Irish Times today uh, refers to housing, uh, as ever, seems to be uh, omnipresent at the moment. Yeah, well, it's the chief political issue at the moment and also the most intractable problem facing uh, the government as we head into the autumn political term. And it's not just, um, you know, for Fine Gael, it's not just a problem, you know, that affects people on social welfare or something or something outside their natural constituency. It's a cross-society cross yeah. problem because it is, you know, it's impossible for, it's be, becoming very difficult for people to, uh, of, you know, in their 20s and their 30s to buy, uh, to buy reasonably priced houses, to buy any sort of priced houses. And it, is, uh, it, it, it has pinch points right throughout the social socioeconomic uh, uh, spectrum and it's an enormous problem and for the government I think the difficulty is that it is politics often demands visible progress and quick fixes and in its entirety the problem is not amenable to quick fixes by very definition building houses is a slow uh, is a slow business and that is the, the 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 political bind that the government finds itself in but it's not just about politics, it's grounded in, you know, substantial difficulties in people's lives that they expect the state to intervene in. Indeed, and then the battle, if it is to be won, and what the definition of one is, might be another matter. I might go to Damien on that in a sec. But it, it includes issues around how much it costs to turn around a new housing unit in Ireland and whether it's commercially viable in the private sector or how aggressive a role the state should take. And this report today is in relation to some element of uh, some information we're due to get on some of the, on some of those. Numbers. Yeah, it's it's the the report um, uh, the report on the front of today's paper is uh, drawn from a report carried out um, 
for the government within the Department of Housing and it relates to the cost of constructing a house. Now, clearly, one of the big problems, there's lots of aspects and there's lots of you know, tributaries feeding into the problem of a, of, of a lack of housing that people are so acutely feeling. But one of the main tributaries to that problem is uh, the fact uh, is the lack of supply in the uh, uh, in in the housing market. The fact that house building hasn't, which was at uh, you know, uh, eighty thousand a year at the uh, at the height of the boom has never recovered to anything like a sustainable amount. We're told we need twenty five thousand new houses every year just to meet ongoing uh, the ongoing demands of a, of a rising population. There's nothing like that amount being built at the moment. And one of the reasons why there isn't uh, why builders aren't building houses at the moment is they say the cost of construction and today's uh, uh, and, and, and this report that uh, that's on our front page today uh, has some details and on let that. me ask you about that uh, Damien are these figures accurate that the kinds of amounts say up to 320,000 euro that it costs to that uh, cost to build an apartment means that there essentially isn't a profit there are report today suggests that builders need to make approximately a 10% profit ultimately on uh, after after all their costs now look there's a lot of issues affecting the overall housing market the, the biggest part of this is that there was a 90% drop in construction and that underlines all the problems we have the Pat has referred to and it is a problem. Uh, housing affects probably everybody at this stage right throughout the country in all different walks of life. It's not just emergency housing. It's also housing for people who want to work in the cities, who want to work close, where you want to raise your family, where you want to go, go to school and so on. So there's a lot of issues there and having access to that house at the right price, um, as well as bringing back in vacant properties as well. It is priority number one for government. It's going to get heated up over the next couple of months because, yes, we have a five-year plan there which is achieving the results and it's on track to achieve what it has to do. But in certain areas, it's still major pressure when it comes to emergency housing as well. When I say it's achieving, it's, it's the trends are right in relation to bringing on new delivery of housing. It can't come quick enough for any of us, but the trends are going in the right direction and we have to in- intervene as much as we can to, to But when to you say the trends are going down. in the right direction, mm. there, there are increases, obviously, in the output of houses, but they're from such a low base uh, oh, yeah. that they're actually not even keeping pace with the lengthening uh, housing lists and the people who are trying absolutely, to get... Absolutely, no, I, I'm not saying uh, there's enough. That, that, don't get me wrong, I'm saying the trends are positive, they're going in the right direction, but they're not delivering what we need as an, enough housing. I'll come back to the report, Jasper, in a minute, but that's a draft report. It's not a finalised report and there's different figures and so on out there and we can tease it through aspects around that, but the report is not finalised, so I'm not going to comment on a report that's not finished yet. But in general, there's an issue around affordability and bringing properties at an affordable price onto the market and where we want them as well. The the issue is, though, is um, around the supply of housing and we do need to get to a stage of, of delivering. When we set, when we set this target out uh, a year ago, the, the kind of suspected demand was about 25,000, 26,000 a year for every year for the next 10, 15 years. The ESRI have updated that and they, they reckon we need to be delivering about 30,000 houses a year. So we start off with supply, which two years ago was about 12,000 houses. Last year, it was close on 16,000 houses. This year, it'll be about 19,000 houses. Next year, it'll be over 20,000 houses. They're not all fully new build. They're new to the market. Some of them might have been built a year ago. Some of them are half finished and some of them are new. But they're coming on stream now. And, you know, there's different ways of counting that. We'll always argue with that. But there are houses that weren't there last year that will be there this year. So that trend is moving in the right way. But we need to move it quicker. We want to be at the 25,000, up to 28,000 and go on to 30 as well for a couple of years. At the same time, the difficulty at, the same time at the same time, we have to make sure we develop a sustainable construction market that we don't have a repeat of what happened before. We can't have a bubble. So we're trying to generate and give confidence to the system for those who are developing skills. Because even now, a skills shortage is an issue because there's not as many 
many people uh, involved in construction as there would have been years ago. And we need to, people need to believe that that it will be a sustainable construction sector again and a sustainable housing sector again. And uh, we'll say 10, 15 years ago, the housing part of construction was about 50%. Now it's less than 20%. So we have to rebuild a housing market and that's causing us problems for social housing and for private housing. And it's not easy to fix, but we will fix it. But it just can't be fixed overnight. The difficulty um, is is one of simple arithmetic that while, you know, if you're building 16, 18,000 houses last year or, uh, or this year, that's still leaves unmet needs uh, in, in in the housing market and those numbers are piling up year after mm. year. They accumulate and that is the difficulty and that's the real pressure that you're seeing, which it seems to me is likely to get worse before it gets better on a matter of simple uh, uh, simple arithmetic because you, what you have is a huge pent-up need for housing. In, in uh, you know, in reality, you probably need to build, you know, 35, 40,000 houses a year for a period of time to get through that backlog and then allow mm. uh, and then allow building to decline. As Damien, um, as Damien will know, manipulating a market in anything is very, very difficult. And no, it can have all kinds of unintended consequences. Precisely. Because, you know, Harry, yeah. Harry, I want to bring you into this and, and there, are, I mean, there are obviously so many different elements to this, but one of the criticisms that's been made of the, the role of the state in this in the last 10 years is that, you know, for most of the history of, of, of this state, successive governments, Fianna Fáil ones, but also also coalition governments, invested hugely in social housing and, you know, and built, you know, housing estates in towns and cities uh, across the country. And that was a very important part of the housing mix. And they just, they stopped doing that. And the numbers of social housing which are being commissioned directly by the state, directly by the state, uh, are, you know, infinitesimally small compared to what was happening in the 1970s, even the 1950s. Well, absolutely. If you go to any city uh, or any major uh, conurbation, you can see the fruits of that from the 1920s, 30s and 40s. For example, in Dublin, if you go to Cabra, uh, to Coolock, to Finglas, to Ballyfermot, to Crumlin and to Drimna, you can see all these houses that were built in the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, with the with the with the uh, long gardens that were intended for horticulture and to keep animals and hens, and uh, which have since become private stock uh, because of uh, various right to buy uh, schemes that were introduced by the government during the 1970s and the 1980s. Unfortunately, over the past 20 years, what's happened is that local authorities have ceased to become players in terms of building uh, social housing and have left it to housing associations. Uh, to uh, builders and to uh, to other interests, and unfortunately, um, while uh, all of that was uh, okay during the Celtic Tiger, uh, when there were many units being built, Pat referred to eighty thousand units being built a year at one stage in two thousand. Not all the right type were in the right place. No, not 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 the right type. The but there were, co- there, there were a couple of dirty mm. deals that were done. For example, uh, Part Five of the Building and the the Development Act uh, required. Uh, that 20% of houses in any uh, development were allotted to social housing purposes. Uh, But there were a series of amendments that were introduced to that legislation uh, that allowed developers essentially to get off the hook and they could give money or they could give other land uh, in lieu uh, of that 20% commitment. And often the land turned out to be useless or kind of on the outskirts. the council spent the money on other things. Yeah, Yeah. the council spent the money on other things. So when you get to to the difficulty we have at present, I mean, the, the, the difficulty 
is not intractable, but it's something that's going to take quite a few years to fix. Now, Damien is referring to the trends going in the right direction. Well, if they are going in the right direction, they're going in the right direction very, very slowly indeed. There are two sides to the equation. There is the social housing uh, problem and the government has committed to build 47,000 units between now and 2021. And then there's the house building. This is providing houses for people who are willing to pay. And as Pat said, they need to get to 25,000 a year. They might even need to get to 40,000 a year. They're not even reaching half that mm. at present. Mm. And that creates another problem, which we, which we might come to a little bit later <laughs> just, on. But yeah, just looking at yeah. the social housing uh, uh, piece, they, they, they are nowhere near uh, achieving uh, the targets that they've set for 2017 or 2018. And the government has put a lot of stock into the vacant housing stock. And I think that that is going to turn out to be uh, a lot, uh, a, a bit of uh, a lot. But it's of one smoke. thing that's worth doing. But it's clearly, you know, there is, there is no, no, no. It's going to answer. be very. It's going to be. Let, 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 let me put those points to you, but also, uh, but also add in something else that mm. a distinguished historian and columnist for this newspaper, Dermot Ferreter, on Saturday was writing about this, and he argued that we look at the history of the state in regard to this. A lot of these decisions are driven by ideology, even though everybody who's involved denies it, and that there is. He was implicitly saying there is a prejudice against social housing in some quarters of the political system. There's a deep distrust of local government by by central government and these things are all getting in the way of making the right decisions so that for example, you end up with a situation. I happened to be out sitting in the primetime studio last week, and your colleague Owen Murphy was there being quizzed about the government's commitment to social housing. And the the plan refers to social housing units being generated, but a huge amount of those units aren't houses at all. They're not social housing. They're payments, HAP payments, and other forms of payments to private landlords, which are probably put, c- continuing to push up rents and, and pushing other tenants out, and are not the provision of social housing as it would be understood. In any normally functioning political system. Yeah, look, there's a couple of points there and if you give me a second I'll go through it. Uh, I read Jeremy's article and I read other comments as well and, and that would refer to previous governments that were not Fine Gael driven or Fine Gael led um, to be very clear on that. Um, well, we, I think he went all the way back to, did, to yeah, 1948 but the, but the main which, which problem here was the, the main problem here that Harry's referred to was in, during the boom years a decision was made that for local authorities to step out of delivering social housing. A major, major mistake. We made a decision the first chance we had any money to put back into the system as a government that we would put the money back into social housing and that's why a decision was made to spend five and a half billion on social housing over the next couple of years. Like last year the housing budget I'll tell you this year the housing budget company a couple of hundred million to 1.3 billion. Next year is an extra over 300 million on capital of social housing as well. So we are putting the money back into local authorities. The problem is you just can't turn it on with a light switch. It takes a bit of time to put the capacity back into place. Over 500 extra staff were sanctioned to all the local authorities in the housing section. The planning department was increased as well. They've been all given increased money. We've sat with them all. I've sat there myself at meetings right throughout the country and told them, right guys, get back in here. Build do, these do, houses. Do they, and, do they, do they, do they actually want to do that? Them, because I've talked no, talk to they, people they, who work they, in local they're, government they're, who have a very negative attitude towards no, well, social well, housing. They see it as a problem. Managing no, they, the housing stock is a burden on them. They, they, they were very happy to get out of it in, in, you know, back in the 90s. Maybe they were, but, but uh, that's, not, that's not the issue. Government policy today Day, is that they're, that they're going back in there under delivering housing and we've repeatedly met them over the last year we've given them resources they want to do it they know it's their job if there's some mumbling they can mumble to one side because we're doing this this is important policy and I think it's, it's, a, it's a clear ideology of this government that the government the state builds social housing and it is correct to say it's not quick enough like last year 
about 600 new houses were delivered in direct building. Others were ported and acquired and so on. Some of them vacant, some of them not. This year, there'll be about 2,500 houses built. Uh, and we'll acquire another few thousand as well. So we want to, in in, in, the, in this plan... We'll that get compares to, with, in the, the 1930s, no, no. when the country didn't have two pennies it's, to rub together, it was that. building yeah. 12,000 yeah. and it's not, just, it's not just as simple as that. I yeah. wish it was, OK? And if it was, we'd be doing it, trust me. We don't want this, we don't need this problem either, so we would fix it if we could quicker. But it's not the option. You have to go through planning and processes and people have rights to object and so on. It's not as just as straightforward as it was in the past. The important thing is, though, you put the people in, in it, you put the money into it, and you make it happen. My job now is to lead up the delivery team in our department to drive this and push this activity. We have a pipeline of about 10,000 social housing units over 610 sites now. That can happen now in the months ahead and over the next 12, 18 months to be delivered. I have to push that quicker and faster and also double that and add to it again and again because we want to get back to a stage that we can deliver a minimum of 6,000 houses, possibly 10,000 houses a year. But it, you just can't go from zero to no, 10,000 no, no, I accept in a that, week. but can I, can I ask, ask you also, I know you don't want yeah, to comment the on, on, years, on, the, so on the exact numbers yeah. in, the, in, in, in our lead story today, but those kind of numbers, presumably a large amount of that is the price of land. Uh, and, and for the state, yeah. the state has access uh, to, well, to look, certain land banks. the cost of this over the last couple of years, and, and there's a lot of issues here. There's planning requirements, there's planning conditions, there's the cost of land, there's the cost of servicing land, there's the cost of finance, there's access to finance, what price, can, what price can you get at? There's a lot of contributing costs there. Materials have got up a lot over the last five or six years in Ireland. Look, they were probably at a, at a low base compared to other European countries, but they've all risen. Even cement alone has gone up about 43% over the last four or five years. So there is that as well. But, but, and it's not just land cost. Right? And we're trying to make more land available. And but we'll is, there a problem, is there a problem with there's land hoarding? A, there's a... In, in, for some, for some uh, owners of land, they're deciding to, to stay out and not build the land. And like, at this moment in time in Dublin, there's enough land zoned and serviced that, that we could have 25,000 houses being constructed today. We don't have that. There's about 7,000, 8,000 houses coming through the system as of today. Is Michael Noonan's capital so, gains tax exemption encouraging people to I sit on land I, banks? I don't, but look, people make different business decisions. Uh, and you know, we, we hear reports of people saying, oh, look, we'll, we'll build houses this year, we'll wait to sell them next year. Our job is, as a government, to intervene and to push this right across the system to make sure it doesn't happen and to make changes and that's what budgets are for and we look at all these measures but but, but, but what I would say about the cost of housing we, we have to address that and I think that one of the best ways we're, we're looking at doing is through state-owned land we own enough land to build 50,000 houses uh, at, at medium density and we're trying to work with local authorities to bring forward plans to make that happen that'll be a combination of social housing private housing and affordable housing as well and there's a lot of lot of different aspects of this happening but the issue is here in that report is looking at the cost and what's affordable we know and it's not news to say there's a problem with apartment building um, we're not near where we should be with, with building apartments in this city and other cities in this country. So there's a difficulty there. And we're trying to get behind that and see and, what and is what the problem. It, 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 Part it, it, of the difficulty it, it, is you, 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 can, you can turn a house out through different forms of construction in six months after you get your planning and, and have your site serviced. But apartments, it's not that quick. You have to carry the cost. And, and for a couple of years to, to be able to build and, up and, and that's one practical that's problem one the traditional Irish way of building housing estates was you build 10 or 20 and then you've got the capital arising out of those to complete the estate and that's obviously something that's you can't do we're going back to and during the yeah. boom times they weren't they could, they could, they could deliver five, 500 houses at a time now they're back to building 20 or 30 at a time so we need to scale that up but with the apartments it's because you're, you can't sell the bottom apartment until they're all built and are the requirements making the apartments too expensive for example one of the things that struck me listening to Tom Parlin today on, uh, on RT Radio 
um, was he was talking about the number of car parking spaces which are required yeah, in apartment buildings. If an apartment this. building is being built in a relatively central urban location, mm-hmm. does it actually make sense in terms of where our spatial strategy yeah, is supposed and to be going? Exact the issues, they're the exact issues we're the looking at. The dual at. aspect is the yeah, other yeah, part, yeah. isn't it? We're looking yeah. at that issue because from car parking, and, and again, that report is draft, I, I've, I've, I've seen it and I'm working on it, and it does point to, in some cases, car parking, and the, the choice to have car parking in the basement or to have it in the perimeter or where do you have it makes a big difference to the cost and they're, they're issues we're looking at so we're prepared to you know where, where, it's, where it's good planning we will make changes when it, when it having said that suggestions mm-hmm. that bed sits might be back or that dual aspect won't be required anymore we could in panic end up going back to the shoebox apartments of the 1990s again, and and again there's, that, no, there's no panic decisions here and we'll be very clear on this all the decisions we're making are based on good planning good regulation and good quality housing Owen Murphy's made it very clear a number of months ago and again this report and I'm sure Pat and others have, have access to information and have their sources it there's no decision made yet by Owen Murphy around, around but he said he, he said it very clearly when he took up this job in July he wanted to find a way to have these these buildings these bed sets put back into use in some form not necessarily the way they were but in a proper regulated So that would uh, be manner. in older buildings because that's where it, most of those bed sets tended to be to have them repurposed or have the and, overall buildings and, and repurposed And quite a lot of these units are, are now not active at all in some cases they were brought, brought back to the market in a different form but Owen has said and he's put a lot of work into this trying to see how we can get those bed sets that space back into use. It doesn't mean we're going back to the kind of beds that you had or that, that but, but it's all because there's proper regulation, there's proper quality, but there is a lot of space there that's not being utilised. So I'm trying to understand, trying does that to, mean yeah. that there are essentially derelict buildings which previously, you know, in, in, in but, between but, the canals in Dublin, for yes, example, that previously uh, housed bed yeah, sits and now they're empty? Correct. That is a fact. Yes, is and there's a lot of empty properties out there. Now, the reports that say there's 190,000 vacant properties, that, they're not realistic, to be honest with you, right? But if you, if you tease this down and use our own data, it's certainly under 90,000 vacant properties. What way could, less than that. Yeah. I would say, say 10,000 uh, possibly maximum. maybe 20,000 Harry throughout the country could be uh, could be made available through vacant properties but we've a range of incentives there to make that attractive and the, the repair and lease back scheme to me is a very attractive scheme if you have a property today and needs money spent on it to bring it back to the market you can actually avail of the state up to 40,000 euro to be spent on your on your dwelling and then you, you the lease it to the state the numbers haven't been great though have they? You know, they on, haven't on been and, and it's hard to believe mm. 12 no there's, a, there's, a, there's an interest if I, about 500 have, have applied for this and we're teasing through them but the numbers should be 12, in the thousands. It yeah. should be. I mean, well, well, the aim for that, Damien, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 3,500 over units. Over three years. This year. Over, over, over three years. Over and so but, far you have 12. But, 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 but Harry, the question you have short. to ask yourselves is, and we're all saying, these are people's private properties. And this is a very good incentive by the government. And you have to ask, why people aren't interested here? And why? why do you think that is? Because I, I, just, I walk to work every day and I yeah. walk past, I probably walk past 100 boarded up derelict buildings and probably 50 wasteland sites which could be built on with infill mm. development as well. So what is it for the owners of those sites and those buildings that's causing them to say I'm better off just sitting there? Exactly. This? Look, on some of those sites if they're, if they're, if they're owned by developers they're, they're playing a, they're, some of them might be playing a waiting game others might have difficulty getting all the planning and the money but the Bakeside Levy will help deal with some of mm, that yeah. and we're looking to see to make that more kind of a, more of a stick. But then others then What need, would need what make it more of a approach. stick? What would that well, you involve? Have to a more aggressive is, approach? You have to question in, in some cases is, is the tree percent enough to get someone to 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 to, to make their to change their their, their decision making process around that land, and we may have we have to look and see do we need to make that a, a stronger. Um, but that's, that's not coming yeah, in until 2019. No, so. no, it, 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 the, the payment of the cash on that wouldn't kick in until 
till 19. But the, the charge starts from next year. So if you have a vacant site from 2018 onwards, from January 18 onwards, you're starting to pay, you're, you're, you're adding, there's a, there's a charge building up there on that site. But the question you have to ask, for some major players, it does 3% affect them or not? And we have, we have to look at this and see, if not, we have to maybe up it. But the other issue around vacant properties, uh, and there's also, the, we're having all these discussions ourselves, see how we can use both carrot and stick to bring them forward. I would have said there's a very attractive scheme there and it's not been utilised. So there's, there's a bigger problem. We've asked our local authorities now literally to go door to door to try and find out who owns these properties, what's the story behind them. Some of them are difficult to probate, some of them are difficult with other legal legal issues. There's reasons behind them. And that's why we would say there probably isn't any more, maybe ten or 20,000 that we could probably get our hands on. But we want to, we want because that's nearly a year's supply. It'll be a major help in dealing with the current emergency. It's also good planning, good use of resources. That these vacant properties are already serviced uh, and there's bus stops there and there's footpaths and there's lights and the schools and everything. So sure, there are ideal yeah. properties bring back into use. So we want them back into use. But they're privately owned. We just can't force people to give them to us either. There are certain trends going in the right direction. It's absolutely true. But there are other forces which will make the problem, uh, uh, which will worsen the problem over the coming years. There's going to be a massive increase in um, in house building over private and public over um, over the coming years. But there, one of the things that will, uh, one of the factors or dynamics which will retard that is the uh, uh, is the availability of construction labour. We had hundreds of thousands of people working in construction and then we had almost nobody working in construction. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to people involved in the industry or even anecdotally people doing, you know, small extensions on their homes, that it's extremely difficult to get construction workers, to get builders, to get uh, to get tradesmen. An awful lot of them are gone, an awful lot of Eastern people who, from, uh, uh, men mostly from Eastern Europe who came here and worked in the construction boom have gone. And also, and this is a point that Seamus Coffey, the economist, made in his presentation at the Guild Summer School uh, in, in Glenties in July, is that if we bring these, if, if people come back and people are incentivized to come back, Irish and uh, Eastern European men are incentivized to come back and work in uh, uh, in construction industry to build these houses, they also have to be housed. But that's inevitable. So we just need to plan for that, isn't it? Because the alternative is that we don't build houses. Well, I think, I think for sure. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but my point mm. is that the cost mm. of construction there are additional costs. Will be, yes. is going there are to be pushed costs. up. The, yeah. the other net point he made during that speech was that... Um, if we underreach in the, in it, the, he said the aim should be 40,000 units per annum. And he said if we fall well below that target in the initial years, what we'll have to do at a later stage is overcompensate. Mm. And to overcompensate, you have to bring more workers in and they themselves require housing. Mm. And then you get into that kind of. Uh, he, he actually has a warning. We're, we're not we got in during the cap. There's, there's, no, there's no cap on our plan. If we just recognise we just can't go from 12 to 35 in a year. We have to try to plan to activate the land and make it happen over a couple of years. But we're not saying, oh, stop at 28. That's what, we're, we're not, what we are saying, though. When we, have the, when we reach the target we need to reach, then we want to develop a construction housing sector that will deliver in and around 30 houses a year for the next 20 years because but, it has to be sustainable. If not, we're back but, to what we had gov- before. But government can't make the market. It can influence it, but as you 
point out, Hugh, when it influences well, it in one in one sector, puts an incentive in uh, in, that, in that one part of the market. So, that well, has I disagree with you there, Pat. Difficulty now, we have an emergency problem we're trying to catch up. So yeah, we can't just fix that that quick. But in long-term proper planning, and that's what we want to do through our national planning framework, we, we should have been in the past, when I say we, other governments should have, and maybe you can blame Fine Gael over the long years, but certainly in the last six or seven years, you couldn't address long-term planning in six or seven years for, for now. But for the next 20, 25, 30 years, we're looking ahead and we're looking at land use and land management to make sure that we plan this out and we plan out where the next half a million homes going to be. And that's what we have to do. And then try to make sure that that's, that's, that land is serviced and released at the right pace. Because you're correct in saying a skill shortage will be a problem now. But it, and if we continue with boom and bust in construction, there'll always be skill shortages or skills oversupply. So we need to manage that, that everybody knows if you're going down the road of getting a, a qualification in construction of some sort or, or, or starting a business there, you need to know that it's a, a safe and sustainable market and that you'll always have a job over the next years. And if we can generate a proper construction, housing construction market and try to manage that as a government, which we should be doing, then you can guarantee people that, look, you'll have a job on this. You won't be back to what happened 10 years ago that all of a sudden... 300,000 people lost their job overnight. And that was a, we, you know, in the past, this country failed to manage the housing construction sector. Very, very poorly managed and, and made long-term decisions off those short-term taxes which, have us in a, which put our public finances in a total mess. So construction and housing construction needs to be planned and managed. And, and governments can do that and should do that through proper land management usage. Is there something wrong with the system, though, that seems to, in which it seems to be quite lucrative to build uh, commercial property, for example? I look at the commercial property pages of the Irish Times. There's lots of activity going on there. I look across the skyline of this city and there's cranes up everywhere. They're not building places for people to live, though. Yeah, there's two issues there. Again, the report will, will probably deal with that too. But yeah, yeah, you have to say in a lot of those cases, they're, they're, they're building for pre-letter properties. They know they have a customer. And so there's not the same risk there and they're able to attract the money. It's also because but, but two or three years ago, there was a massive issue and a shortage of correct. office space. Mm. Yeah. So people then, just in the, as there is with residential property, mm. pro- residential property now, the market in a way took care, the yeah. market and, took, and, took care and, of that. And a, a part of the housing crisis, not just in social housing, but houses in general, is because of an economic recovery. People are back at work. They're back looking to live in Dublin or around Dublin because there are jobs here. So some of the office space and the commercial probably came first because they weren't there but now that's brought a need for housing. But you can see the trends there that you know that, that might ease slightly so there should be more skilled labour available to the housing sector as well. But you know that's something we have, we're looking at as a government to see how do you balance out a little bit more as well to get more people into the housing sector. But there is the issue of you know if you know Google wants the, the office and you're, or whoever the company is and you're building it for them it's a safe place to invest your money. Do you do, while you mention that one of the things that mm. I find interesting is you know when Encouraging all this foreign direct investment with the possibility of more of it coming perhaps in a post-Brexit kind of mm-hmm. environment. I'm hearing, I'm meeting people uh, who are saying this is an increasing problem for those companies because they bring people in and they literally cannot find anywhere they can afford to live. You're right. And this conversation started by saying that this is not just a social housing problem. And we recognised that a couple of years ago because a lot of the, my previous role I was in the enterprise uh, department dealing with these companies. And those same companies now are coming to us and are now saying, look, it's affecting our decision making here because we, we can't provide homes and houses for all our staff. So they are, they are aware of our plans. They've seen our strategy in terms of our, our housing and our plans and they know that we will get on top of this because they've worked with us on our housing and our jobs action plan. So they believe when the government says we can do this, we can do it. And as, again, I said the trends are right. You look at plan of permissions, they're up nearly 40% year on year. Commencement notices, which means somebody is starting to build a house or to build a, you know, to build a, a housing estate, they're up about 38%. They're the trends I'm saying will give you houses 
in eight months' time and 12 months' time and continue on. So there the trends are, right? And there the trends we would sit down with large companies of all, both, both Irish-based or multinational. So look, at here you go. We will get on top of this. Right. It's just taking a little bit of time. I, yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad that Damien kind of broadened it a little bit because I think spatial planning is something that the government is really going to have to uh, think about. Uh, we, we, uh, we, it's, been, it's going to unveil uh, the replacement of the national spatial uh, strategy, but we have the unfortunate situation that every company who wants to come into Ireland wants to base itself in Dublin. And if you look at the infrastructure that we have at the moment, the infrastructure has become quite good. We have very good motorways uh, that service all of our major urban areas. Yet companies who are coming Most in, of our major urban areas, people in Sligo would tell you. Okay, well Sligo, <laughs> Sl- Sligo, yeah, the northwest and the, the road to Derry would, yeah. would be the two places that have been left mm-hmm. out. But if you look, there's a motorway to Waterford, motorway to Cork, motorway to Limerick, uh, motorway to to for most of the way down to County Kerry. Uh, to Galway and uh, up towards Dundalk and Belfast. And if you think Waterford is less than two hours away from Dublin, I mean, if you're talking about the states, that would be seen as part and parcel of, say, a city like San Francisco or Chicago, something that was with, was was within two hours. So, why reach. do you think Google and Facebook don't want to move to Waterford, Harry? I I I don't know. I think I think there has to be uh, there's a job of work to be done by the insufficient hurling success agencies. Yeah. Well, can, can, I, can I just add something here? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Harry is right. A lot of companies might come with the intention of locating in Dublin city or other cities, but actually. The IDA and all or Enterprise Ireland and other other agencies have been quite successful here. Let's, let's look at the job figures for 2016. I think about 60% of them are actually outside of the Dublin. There are regions. So there, we have put a lot of effort into this now through our regional action plan for jobs over the years to make this happen. It's not easy in some cases to convince companies to locate the jobs. And, Is there, and given terms. your previous ministerial experience, it strikes me that there's an awful lot of focus on the, the tech companies, the Facebooks, the Googles, mm. the Airbnbs and that. They, they kind of want to locate in a city of the scale of Dublin, don't they, in terms the, of the type the, of employees the they people, want to attract? The people that want to work yeah. there want Correct. to live in yeah. big cities yeah. but, yeah. but, but, but to be honest with you you can have a conversation with the majority of these companies I mean I even see in my own county we've, we've Facebook have located some of their developments out there as of Shire a pharmaceutical company so when you sit down with companies and explain to them what the offer is from other counties in terms of the attractive lifestyle you can have the infrastructure that's there now we've a lot of our regions now can actually win jobs and are winning jobs but we need to that doesn't happen in an unplanned way that needs government intervention through all our agencies and we've been doing that and I think are quite successful what we need to make sure is that we are continue that success for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years because when it, if you're having you know, the national planning framework in Ireland 2040, it's about making sure you have that spread out to all of Ireland in terms of the jobs, the infrastructure, health, schools, housing and so on. We can't all live in, 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 in around the cities. It's just not sustainable and that's what we're trying to do. And I think, Harry, you're bang on with that. We have to intervene to make sure that happens. You know? our, our time is running on a bit but I just wanted to turn to the Fine Gael thinking is happening uh, at the end of this week. Uh, I think it tomorrow, is. Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, what, what, tomorrow. What kind of thinking will be happening at the thinking? What, what are the main items of the agenda from a Fine Gael perspective? Well, I suppose, I mean, look, naturally, housing as priority number one for the government is going to be there. Um, Leo will be setting, set, Leo, our teacher will be setting out his, his, his style and his vision around the whole opportunity for, for Ireland and opportunity for all the people in that as well and discussing what that means and again it goes back to having the opportunity for the regions it goes back to making sure individuals feel that they have the opportunity in this country uh, to develop a career get an education and move on from that in some cases it means people need extra help to, to avail the opportunity but that's what he wants to talk what about, about tomorrow planning for and planning for uh, the country for the next three or four years through the long term planning well, we will be discussing the, the budget we'll be discussing the national planning framework uh, as it's, but it's actually called Ireland 2040 those kind of plans as well
well. Housing features part of that. But a lot of our work as government is, yes, to deal with priorities of today and emergencies for today, be they housing and so on. But we also have to plan for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Again, my previous role was in the research department, making plans for this country to future-proof it for the next 20, 30 years. That's also a major part of our discussions uh, tomorrow, Thursday and on Friday, because governments have to act today but plan for the future as well. I completely believe that all those noble objectives will be at the top of the agenda, the Fine Gael thinking. But Pat, what else will Fine Gael be thinking about in terms of its own selfish interest and how things may play out over the next 12 to 18 months. Whose round is it? Uh, but also, <laughs> the uh, and the uh, I think, you know, there will be... Um, uh, one of the things I'll be uh, watching uh, in Clonmel in from Leo Varadkar is his, um, you know, the, precisely those those sort of things, the Varadkar vision, to what extent there is. I think there's been a stressing uh, of... Uh, over the summer since he took over Oz, sort of as steady as she goes, demonstrating that he could be uh, Taoiseach, showing he was on uh, on top of the job. What there hasn't been is a kind of distinctive direction, distinctive vision. There was much talk in government circles about a big speech in the autumn. Um, my this would underst- be sort of the Republic of Opportunity kind yeah, of Yeah, fleshing that out and spelling out what that means. Now, you know, people close to the Taoiseach would say, you know, all those ideas in his policy, uh, policy document that he published during uh, during the election, but um, I, I, I think there was an expectation that some sort of you know vision speech would be given. Now, my understanding is that that appears to be uh, off the um, off the table at least for the time being. So I'll be interested to see what is the nature of his presentation to the uh, uh, to to his parliamentary. I, I think Pat, you know, look, the month of August is is a difficult one for politicians, and certainly a new person coming as a Taoiseach in terms of you know getting coverage of ideas or plans and so on but I spend sure, a lot of time August is the time you get coverage no, no, but for all, anything all you, all you guys are, are drifting off covering flurry stuff but no but like in fairness it's, this is the month now this is the time when the dog comes back when we have our thinkings for, for, for people like Do you like expect Leo, a, for, a big for, speech for, for leaders vision. can actually start leading and set out their plans and mm. I've been at a lot of meetings with the Taoiseach over the last couple of weeks and during August as well with different departments and I've watched the style and uh, Leo's about making an impact and any department he's had in the past he's stepped in and made an impact and I think you're going to see that as Taoiseach um, but you, you weren't going to see it in July in August you will see it from now on and I think he's already because I, I know what, in, our, in our housing discussions in our housing policies even at the summit last week with all our local authority managers Leo was there for a couple of hours and he would plenty to say he doesn't hold back and he wants certain things only wants this country driven in a certain way and he wants action and that's going to make an impact and I think you'll see a lot more of that coming through in, in his deliberations in the, in the week ahead but certainly on the floor of the doll as well and Aaron. making plans yeah, well, as political commentators, you're always asked to kind of predict the future, and we're pretty lousy uh, at that. But th- this is how I see it, and I, like John Milan, <laughs> might have to end up riding naked down the streets of Waterford. But the way I see it, the way I see it, let's, I go let's to, hope not. Please don't, Harry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to nail my colours to the mast. Uh, I don't think there's going to be an election until at least the autumn of next year. I don't think it's in the interest of either Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, which are the two main parties, uh, to call an election between now and then. Unless something enormous or catastrophic happens. And I think that Fine Gael will struggle uh, in the next uh, general election, not because of anything that Leo Varadkar does or doesn't do, just because of the cycle and where the uh, economy is at the moment. And I think when you look at the individual constituencies around the country, I think the potential for gains, all things being equal, uh, is far greater for Fianna Fáil than it is for Fine Gael at the moment. Fine Gael are very top-heavy in Dublin. Uh, their potential for gains there are mm. limited. And then when you start looking at the other constituencies, uh, they're relatively limited as well. The one uh, get-out clause for Fine Gael might be the independence. If the independent tide begins to recede, I think Fine Gael would be well to kind of focus. And do you think that there's a chance that that will happen? I think it will happen. 
I concur with mm-hmm. concur with Harry that the disposition of the uh, of the constituencies is and the relative strengths in the constituencies is more advantageous to Fianna Fáil. There is more obvious. Uh, scope for Fianna Fáil gains. If Fianna Fáil add a couple of percent, you can, you, you can see the constituencies where seats are likely mm. to fall to them. I'm not sure that is the same uh, uh, from Fianna, Fianna Gael's point of view. But mm. uh, they, 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 they do one very big caveat, one must add to that, is that if Fianna Gael get more votes, if they get significantly more votes than they got the last time, then the system will translate that into seats. And this was the key of Leo Varadkar's pitch to uh, to the Fine Gael party during the uh, leadership campaign was, I will get more votes. I will offer us definition. I will reach parts of the electorate that have not been available to us before. I will be a vote getter. Now, it seems to me that if he is to do that significantly, he re- needs to reach another stage in the in, in the political development of uh, of Leo, the leader of Leo, the Taoiseach. He has to talk to those parts of the electorate. He has to offer them a message that they like. I've yet to see that. And I think that for Fine Gael and for the Taoiseach is what the autumn mm. term would be about. I have to come in on that. I, th- I disagree with the guys in one thing. I, think, I actually think Fine Gael will be in a very strong position in the next election. I think we'll actually do quite well. There's a lot of seats that I think we left behind us the last time. I will agree on one thing with, with Harry. There is no election. That I, can, I don't see an election, uh, to be honest with you. And the, 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 uh, absolutely, I know there's talk about it, but I actually don't see it to well beyond 2019. There is the, the Conference Supply Agreement brings up the three budgets, which is the budget of 2019. I think it'll go beyond that. Um, but I actually think that, that if you look through all the geographical areas and take Munster as well, there are a lot of seats there that Fine Gael can win. But we'll be judged on how we perform in government over the next year. And it'll be about personalities that leading the party and around the party. And we've got we've got some top talent in, in our party at the very, very top and throughout the, throughout the system as well. But we need to be able to show results. And housing crisis, uh, waiting list on health, uh, long-term planning, all that job creation... We have to be able to, that'll show that we can do a job, but also making sure that all the regions and all the parts of this country feel part of that recovery of Ireland. And that was an issue in the past, and we won't go into the, uh, the headlines before, but we didn't, people didn't believe it was happening. There's more proof now that this country is getting back on, its, back on its feet. Most families are still in difficulty, still getting hard to pay the bills every week, and we've a lot to do here. I think we'll be judged on how we perform over the next year or two I'm years. I've done more to do to kind of phrase. Very briefly, um, Pat, because the, the clock is against us a little bit here. Does Noreen O'Sullivan's departure, I mean, of course there are deep, seated problems within the Gardaí which are going to require all kinds of you know serious reform but does her departure in a way remove a kind of an ongoing political scab which kept getting picked at you know which was just an, an irritation to the government and that you know we may then enter into a lengthy process of finding a replacement well, I, which there's no I think I would prefer rush. another anatomical metaphor which is I think it has I think her removal has burst the pimple uh, of, mm. of 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 Garda malpractice for the time being, but I think it is likely to come back again. I think, um, you know, her departure, the um, the appointment of uh, an interim successor, uh, at least the beginning of the process of of, uh, of picking a new commissioner. I think that will take Garda difficulties off the front pages for, for six a time. So. But I think they will come back. There are there is a report from the policing authority due out, which I am given to understand has very 
um, scathing things to say about the commitment of the Gardaí institutionally to openness and to reform. And that's obviously a problem that goes beyond uh, one senior officer. There's also the tribunal uh, of inquiry into the um, alleged blackening of uh, Morris McCabe's reputation there's involving the more senior, inquiry. There's, there's a number of other so, things. Yeah. So mm. the, these these problems are real and substantive. What I think uh, has changed is that the immediacy of the political issue has receded somewhat. But I expect it to return at some stage in the future. Last word to you. Look, it changes that the commissioner has decided to, to, to retire. Um, we've, we've always said that we believe as a commissioner she was a major part of our plans to drive the reform agenda. Uh, so we have to make sure now that we get an equal and another commissioner who was, buys into that reform agenda. So that reform agenda by definition then is stalled for a period of time? No, it's, it's, it's not really because it's, it's been kind of in on the way for the last kind of, probably a year or two anyway and a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of plans in place there which Noreen was part of as well and some of our team around her. But we need to continue with that reform and try to as quickly as we can uh, find a new commissioner. And yes, it does delay the process but it should not stop the reform agenda. We also have, apart from the police and authority reports coming through, we have the commission doing their work. They don't, I think they don't publish their plans until probably summer of 2018 on the kind of long-term thinking, long-term changes in, in the Garda in the Garda Shikana. But there's a lot of reform on the way. We have to drive on with that. And again, goes back to our government. We have to make sure we, we provide the resources for that. Uh, and there is extra money provided there, but we have to build on that because every department, every section of society uh, had, had their funding cut during, during the tough times. And part of the reform agenda is putting money back in the right way, in the right place. Damien, Harry, Pat, thanks very much for joining us today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to Pat Leahy, Harry McGee and Damien English for joining me today. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon and engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember again that we are doing this live show in Dublin in the Workman's Club on September the 24th and you can find more details at dublinpodcastfestival.ie. You can also mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. So until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.